All right, we're going to get into the Word of God right now, and then um, we're going to pray for you all, because this is our Surrender Weekend, um, and I'm going to talk about surrendering to the Holy Spirit. So uh, if you're taking notes, that's the title of the message, Surrender to the Holy Spirit. And uh, let's all go together in God's Word to John 16, shall we? Oh, that was exciting. John 16. I've been spending a couple of weeks in this part of John with uh, our Harmony of the Gospels. I hope you're following along the Harmony of the Gospels. So uh, in the past week, we've been reading John 13, 14, 15. This coming week, we're reading John 16 and 17. And so not a lot of reading. So you can spend a lot of time soaking in this, allowing the truth of it uh, to permeate into your heart and your mind. Uh, spend time meditating in the Word of God. Uh, allow something to stand out to you and then, and then, you know, be like a camel, ruminate on that, you know, chew the cud, as it were, and allow that truth to become part of you. So I've spent a bit of time in this, so much so that one of my pages is actually falling out of my Bible. I don't know if you can see that, but it's actually it's beginning to, it's a little ripper. Um, anyway... I don't mind my Bible falling apart because a Bible falling apart is generally owned by someone who isn't. Selah. Try doing that with a mobile phone. All right, so John chapter 16, surrendering to the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 7. And Jesus starts with these words, I tell you the truth, and he always did. I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. As we read that, it really is a little mysterious. I, I want to explain those verses to you in a few minutes' time. In verse 12, he stops talking about the world as he has been uh, in those previous verses and starts talking about his own people. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Reading those verses um, is actually quite mysterious. Jesus seems to be um, kind of talking about uh, very mysterious things. It's really hard to kind of get a handle uh, just by reading that, what he's actually saying. But what he's doing is he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit when he comes. And first of all, the work the Holy Spirit does in the world, and then the work that the Holy Spirit does in the church amongst the people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. And so I want us just to spend a few minutes looking at those two things. First of all, the Holy Spirit in the world, which is verses 8 to 11, and then the Holy Spirit in the church, which is the next few verses from verse 12. So first of all, the Holy Spirit in the world. In verse 8, Jesus introduces three works that the Holy Spirit is responsible for 
in the world, that is outside the church, in anyone's life where they have not declared the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Wherever wherever Jesus rules and reigns in the human heart, that is the kingdom of God. And so in any human heart where Jesus does not rule and reign, that person is not part of the kingdom, they're part of the world, but the Holy Spirit still has a very real and vital ministry to people who haven't accepted Jesus yet. And that's the ministry that we're reading about now. In verse 8, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, or he will convict the world of those three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word convict there, or the word prove, as it's mentioned in the new, new international version of the Bible, means to convince with solid, compelling evidence and show to be guilty. The Holy Spirit is at work in the hearts and lives of people who have not come to Jesus yet, and he is um, showing them, he's giving them over the process of time, compelling evidence to show them that they are guilty of sin and righteousness and judgment. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about those three things. So let's look at those three things and so we can get a real understanding of what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in the lives of people. First of all, he is showing them to be in the wrong about sin. And verse 9, he says, about sin, because people do not believe in me. About sin. With sin, there's only one sin to be judged. And this is a really important point because sometimes Christians and churches start getting very picky about individual sins. And sometimes you hear Christians or churches, preachers banging on about this sin and that sin and condemning the world. Um, but, but, But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Sometimes church, we get the message so wrong. The gospel is actually a message of good news. Now, I don't know if you've ever been one of those Christians that um, goes around pointing fingers at people, um, telling them off, maybe they're friends, maybe they're family members, uh, they're living a lifestyle that you don't agree with, you know it doesn't match up to the Word of God or whatever the case, and at every time you have opportunity, you like to be able to get together with them and point out to them how wrong they are and how they should turn away from that. And, and turn to Jesus and all of that kind of stuff. And you come away from that thinking you've done the work of God, but you have not. Because nowhere are we asked as the church to go around and point out people's sins. There is only one sin to be judged, and that's the sin of not believing in or rejecting the one Savior that God has sent into the world, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we should be focusing on. I don't know if you've noticed, but the gospel is actually good news, not bad news. And it saddens my heart greatly when I see well-meaning but misguided Christian people walking around, pointing fingers, Bible bashing, and thinking they're doing the work of God, pointing out sins of various people. I've got a revelation that you need if you're that sort of person today. And the revelation is this, sinners sin. That's why they're sinners. What we need is not some Bible-bashing, finger-pointing Christian. What we need is a Savior. And the Holy Spirit's job in the world 
is to convict people of being guilty about one sin, and that's the rejection and not acceptance of the Savior. Before I came to Jesus Christ, I was a sinner and had very little conscience about my sin. I abused drugs, I swore like a trooper, I blasphemed, I abused alcohol, I was involved in the occult, I was working for a record store in Western Australia, I stole records and cassettes, I underpriced some of the, um, uh, the, the, the sales and stole money from the till, I watched stuff, uh, listened to stuff and had no conscience on any of it whatsoever, never dawned on me that what I was doing was wrong. But then the Saviour started working on my life and I came to a point of accepting Jesus Christ into my life and from that moment my spirit sprung alive and I realized that the things I'd been doing were wrong. Didn't mean I stopped sinning but suddenly I had uh, an awareness that when I had done the wrong thing it was wrong so I could come to the Lord and confess my sin, repent of it and receive his forgiveness. And it wasn't a finger-pointing Christian that brought me to Jesus. It was someone that was actually able to show me the love and grace of God, which was so incredibly attractive, you couldn't have kept me away. And that's what he wants to do for all the people in the city of Frankston. Amen. And that's what we want to herald here at this church as we reach out to the precious people of this city. It's not a, it's not a message of bad news. It's a message of good news. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 5. He's addressing a, a, gra a grave sin issue that was in the Corinthian church. Uh, it was a, a, the, the sin of incest, which even in the immoral city of Corinth um, was, was a sin that was frowned on. In fact, incest back in Bible days was the worst sexual sin anyone could engage in. Uh, he says, there's a sin that's going on in the Corinthian church. A young man is having a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And he said, this is a sin that's not even named amongst pagans. And yet you're all thinking it's fantastic. And so he says, we need to address sin inside the church. But look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12. He said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? The church was never set up to judge the world. God didn't even send his son into the world to judge it. He sent Jesus to the world to save it. And that is our message as well. We see the same in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul is writing about the ministry of reconciliation. And he says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So God, in the person of Jesus Christ, sent to reconcile the world, to bring the world back into relationship with God, not counting people's sins against him, against them. That's the work of God. In Jesus, you, as we're reading the Gospels this year, notice that the only sins that Jesus pointed out in the Gospels were the sins of the religious. Everybody, he just hung out with people. And there was something about Jesus that was incredibly attractive, not physically, but something of the heart that drew people. The love and grace and mercy and forgiveness of God where, where he couldn't stop people from following him. He drew people. That's what the church is to be like. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is, God loves you. He wants a relationship 
with you. That's our message. That's our ministry. Not finger pointing, not Bible bashing, not pointing out people's sins. Whose job is it to convict the world of sin? The answer to that question is, it's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not my job. So we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to do His job. My job, your job, is to love people and to pray for them. My constant prayer for family and friends and acquaintances that don't know Jesus yet is, Lord, whatever you need to do in their lives to draw them to a loving relationship with you, please do it. I pray for people all the time. Lord, please reveal yourself. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're convicting them of, of, of sin and guilt in regard to Jesus Christ. Do whatever it takes to draw them to yourself. Pray that prayer and then love people. And when you're with them, don't look for every opportunity to steer the conversation to Jesus Allow them to lead the way. That's what the Bible says. Peter says, when, always be ready to give an answer to people who ask you why you have the hope that you have. And so it takes all the pressure off, church. Sometimes we think, you know, we've got to be these rip-roaring evangelists who everywhere you go, you've got to talk to people about Jesus and, 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 you know, sometimes that works. And if the Spirit of God leads you in that way, then do it, because He knows each individual situation. But for the vast majority of people, that's not the way to go. Just before Christmas, I went into a bike shop with Christy. We wanted to get a, a new bike for, for, for Gigi and, and a bigger bike for Trinity, because she's growing so fast. And uh, I went in to pick the bikes up a couple of days before Christmas, and the bikes hadn't been brought in from the warehouse. So there was a young guy there, and he said, oh, can you come back in an hour? And I said, yeah, that's fine, no worries. So went back in about an hour later. This is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on December the 23rd. And, um, and he looked at me as I came through the door, and he went, uh, the bikes are here, but I haven't fitted the baskets yet. And I said, that's fine, I'll just wait while you do it. And so I stood there and, and engaged in conversation with him. Young bloke, he told me he was from Canberra, moved down because he's fallen for a girl here in Melbourne, and uh, they're living together. And uh, we talked about lots of different things. We talked about politics. We talked about American politics and how crazy Donald Trump is. And uh, then we talked about Australian politics and wondering who our Prime Minister might be next week. <laughs> and, uh, and then it came to, what are you doing for Christmas? And, so, um, and there was about five or six other guys all working on bikes there. And they were talking about going to family and friends. And this young guy said, oh, my girlfriend and I, were going to catch up with a couple of friends for drinks on Christmas Day. And then they said, what are you going to be doing? I said, we've got 300 people coming for lunch. <laughs> that was a good line. And they go, what, what are you doing? And I said, well, at our church, we put on a lunch on Christmas Day for people that are homeless and underprivileged and disadvantaged. And, and they went, oh, that's amazing. And that started a journey. I didn't even tell them I was a pastor. Um, that started the journey in, 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 in talking about, you know, helping people and all of that kind of stuff. Eventually came to, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm actually the senior pastor of that church. And this young guy just started to open up. And he said, oh, I'm from Canberra. He said, both of my parents are Fairfax journalists. They're, ag they're atheists. He said, uh, he said, I'm an agnostic. And I said, oh, good and honest atheist. <laughs> it's funny, he laughed as well. <laughs> and, uh, and we got involved in this great conversation. 
And then the bikes were ready, so he helped me load the bikes into the car and I drove off. And by the time I got home, he'd rung the mobile and left a, um, a message uh, for me saying that I'd forgotten the helmets. Now, I didn't do it deliberately, all right? Just so you know. So I, I said, oh, I'll come in the next day. So I went in the next day. And during the conversation, I'd suggested a couple of books that he might like to read because he said to me, he said, you know, my parents never taught me anything. I'd actually like to believe in something. I just don't know what to believe in. When I told him as I was, I was a Christian, his response was, oh, good, the least crazy religion. <laughs> this guy completely unchurched. So the next day I gave him my card and, um, and I wrote down the two books and I said, um, let me know if you want to catch up sometime. And he said, it's funny you should say that. When you left yesterday, me and the boys said, wouldn't it be great to sit and have a beer with that bloke and chat? And so I said, well, look, I'd love to. I'm going away after Christmas, but when I get back, I'll SMS you. And he, he flicked me an SMS with his number. And so when I got back from my break, I sent him an SMS. I said, would you like to catch up? And, and he said, I'd absolutely love to. So a couple of Friday nights ago, we're sitting at Grape and Grain in Moorabbin, having a beer and having a chat and, and talking about lots of different things, including spiritual things. Now, he told me as part of that conversation that he was fishing on uh, Frankston Pier, he, he loves fishing, and uh, he said there was him and a few other guys just sitting on the pier fishing, and this, this old guy came along and started talking to them all about Jesus and how they needed to repent. And, and, and he said to this bloke, he said, I don't want to, I'm not interested. And, but the guy kept on, and in the end, he, uh, this young bloke swore at him. He told him to pee off. And so the old guy did. And I thought, isn't that fascinating? Because that's exactly what I'm talking about here. This guy's walking up and down the pier, probably thinking he's doing the work of God. And I'm not going to judge him. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. But for this young guy, he was not interested in engaging with him. And yet he'd sit and have a beer with me and a chat, and we'd talk about Jesus. And I, he's still a long way off, but he's on a journey. Amen. And so we're praying for him. That's what we need to be like. Supernatural, not super spiritual. Let's surrender to the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is we, we surrender to the Holy Spirit in regard to sin because there's only one sin to be judged, but the Holy Spirit doesn't leave people hanging in sin. The next thing he convicts people of is righteousness. That is about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. When it comes to righteousness, it's about how to be in right relationship with God. And so the Holy Spirit will convict someone of sin and then lead them to the place where they can be saved by, by revealing what Jesus has done for them. When Jesus went to the Father, this is talking about his death on the cross a couple of days later. When he died on a cross, he paid the price for everything that you and I have done wrong. Amen? Every time someone breaks a law, justice says we need to be punished for that law breaking. Jesus comes along and says, how about I pay your punishment for you? And he's made that offer and he's done the work for every person in the world. And so that when we accept Jesus, we can become righteous. The barrier between us and God, the barrier of sin is taken out of the way through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are fully forgiven. We are fully pardoned. We are declared not guilty. We are in right relationship with God because of his finished work. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads people on that journey. Sin to the Savior and then the third thing he convicts of is in judgment. In verse 11, he says about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. 
So what he was doing here was getting out of the way the only thing that was in the way, and that was Satan trying to stop people from coming to the Savior. A few chapters earlier in John chapter 12, verses 31 to 33, in the context here, Jesus is speaking about his impending death on the cross. And he says, now is the time for judgment on this world. On the cross, Jesus judged the world in that he paid the price for the judgment of the world. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, speaking about crucifixion, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. On the cross, Jesus dealt with the devil once and for all. Now, I'm not saying that the devil doesn't have some power. He still does have some, but the only power the devil has now is the power that we allow him to have. Amen. That's why the Apostle Paul said, don't allow the devil to have a foothold. Very graphic language. A foothold is like you're climbing up the side of a mountain or you're climbing up one of those rock walls. As long as you've got a foothold, you're okay. And sometimes by attitudes or actions in our lives, we allow the devil power to hold on to our life in some way. And Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. Confess your sin, repent of it, fill the foothold in, and hear the screams as the devil falls off your life. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, John writes, The reason that the Son of God was revealed was to destroy what the devil has been doing. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The devil's been dealt with. Amen. Jesus said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And if he has it all, how much does the devil have? Hallelujah. God calls his people to surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow him to do his work in the world of convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. What Jesus is saying here is the Holy Spirit wants to draw every precious person because Jesus died for everyone. He was lifted up on the cross to draw all people to himself. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our job as the men and women of God is to love people, to pray for people, and to be open to conversations as they happen like I'm open to the conversation with the young guy in the bike shop. And that's a to-be-continued. Amen? Remember him in prayer. That would be wonderful. So that's we surrender to the Holy Spirit's work in the world. Now, let me just finish up with this for about five minutes, the Holy Spirit in the church. Go back to John 16, if you would. Let's just read a few of those verses again to refresh our minds. John 16 and verses 12 to 15. Jesus is saying to his disciples, remember, the disciples have been with him for years. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Again, these words sound a little cryptic. Let me explain them for you. As we surrender 
to the work of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we will grow in two things that Jesus talks about in these verses. The first of them is maturity, and the second of them is intimacy. Let's look at this maturity, first of all. I'm fascinated by that statement that Jesus is saying to a group of people that he had spent literally years with, but they had not come to that point in maturity yet. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. You think about all the things that Jesus taught to his disciples, and yet there was still more truth that he wanted to share with them, but they weren't at the maturity level where they could actually receive what he wanted to say to them. But he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to progressively lead you into all truth as you are mature and as you're able to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to share with you. There's that progression of truth that we see in Scripture. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, uh, Peter writes these words, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. When a baby is born, we've got little babies in our room at the back, there's little Kelsey. When she was first born, Aaron and Katie fed her milk, right? She was on an all-milk diet. Why? Because she was a baby. But there comes a point in time, normally around five months of age, where the baby is no longer satisfied with milk. And so you need to add something to the diet. Now, bizarrely, we refer to it as solids. But I've seen solids. And they're not solid. They should be called runnies or mushies, although maybe not mushies. I've had mushies. They were magic. But not since I've become a Christian. I just want to add that. We give them these things. When our kids were little babies, about five months old, we introduced them to a thing called Farrax. Does anyone remember Farrax? I don't know. Do we still have Farrax? They're still Farrax. One day I was, I was feeding Gigi. I mean, she's nearly 18, for goodness sake, and she's driving. But I still remember she in a little high chair and feeding her Farrax. And she was gobbling it up because she was so hungry because all she'd had is milk. And she's on Farrax. And I thought, wow, this must be amazing. So I tried some. It's like this disgusting, tasteless porridge. It's horrible. But if all you've ever had is milk, Farrax is good. Farrax is actually designed so that babies will eat vegetables. Because anything tastes better after you've had Farrax. And over the process of time, as the child grows, you feed them more and more and more things. When Kelsey was first born, Aaron didn't barbecue a T-bone steak and lie it next to her in the cot. Or at least I don't think Aaron did. Well, we'll talk about it afterwards. Because what would Kelsey do? I mean, she couldn't handle a steak because she was a baby. All she could handle was milk. But as we get, I mean, if you put me on an all-milk diet, you would end up with a really cranky pasta. Because I get hungry. I love a steak. I like a burger. Why? Because I'm mature and I want a diet to match. And that's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. As you surrender to the Holy Spirit, you will grow in maturity. The, the milk that you used to um, find nourishing, as you grow, you need deeper and deeper truth. You need stronger and stronger food. When I first came to Jesus, the pastor preached on John 3.16. I didn't even know there was a John, let alone a 3.16. But that was the message I needed to hear. 
And that was the message that brought me to Jesus. If he'd got up and talked to me about the efficacy of the propitiation of Jesus, he would have lost me and I would have walked away and gone back to my mushies. As we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we grow in maturity. If you're a baby in Jesus, book into the Alpha Course. Get some of the basics. Grow. If you're a a stronger, more mature Christian, then get into a a good connect group where you can really dive into the Scriptures. Um, You know, follow up some of the stuff we're teaching here on a weekend. Uh, With the message notes each week, we're putting discussion questions that you can use in connect groups. All of that grow in your faith. And secondly and finally, intimacy. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, The Father has entrusted me with everything. He's given me everything I've got is from the Father. And then when the Holy Spirit comes along, He's going to take everything that I have and He's going to give it to you. What He's talking here is about being trusted as friends. He's talking about intimacy. In Jesus' day, a true friend was someone that you could fully trust with a confidence. You know that they wouldn't talk about it with other people. It's the same today, isn't it? I've got two or three very close friends that I can share anything with. They know the worst about me. They love me anyway, and I love them. And that's the way it should be. I can tell them something, and I know it won't go further. There are some people who aren't like that. If you want the world to know, there are certain people you can tell. And they they have their uses, those people, because if we want to get information out quickly, then you tell them. I hope none of you are like that. You know, they have a tongue that's loose at both ends and has a hinge in the middle, you know, and it just constantly flaps. But you'll never get a, a, a true friend. You'll never have an intimacy in a friendship if you can't keep a confidence. And that's what he's saying the Holy Spirit will do. Jesus calls his followers into true friendship and intimacy. As we surrender to the Holy Spirit, our confidences are safe with Jesus and he will share his friendship and confidences with us. The Holy Spirit will relate to you as Jesus related to the disciples. Now listen to this final statement. A believer's relationship with Jesus today should be no less intimate than the relationships he had with the disciples before the cross. And that's all because of a surrendered life to the Holy Spirit.